So that's the pastor Sunday. You just, it's a good Sunday for me because I've been preaching a long time and I don't get nervous very often, but I do on Ask the Pastor Sunday. Um, now, sometimes colleagues don't help. They say things like, show no mercy to all of you. Um, I'm just going to say this. If you show no mercy, the colleague who said that will probably be leading two or three junior high retreats this coming year. <laughs> just saying, so we'll see how the questions come forward. There are a lot of questions. It's more than I think I saw certainly last year. It may be more uh, than in recent years. And Rich may have mentioned at the, the beginning of the service, we don't throw away any of these questions. We don't lose them. They do provide the basis for additional sermons and for additional messaging through the remainder of the year because there's just there's so many things that are clearly on people's minds right now. Uh, so the first one. Uh, my grandson recently asked me if all of the stories in the Bible are true, how would you answer that? A grandson, a child, asked if all the stories in the Bible are true, which is a great question. And the answer is, they have truth in all of them, but they are not necessarily literal all the time. There is truth in story. Here's an example, a compliment asked me of this, gosh, must be 20 years ago now. I was telling them the parable of the Good Samaritan and how Jesus, of course, goes on to say after the, um, after the man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho was beaten, left by the side of the road, you know, a religious leader crosses the other side of the road and then um, a community leader crosses the other side of the road, doesn't help him. And along, of course, comes a Samaritan, hated, despised by the Jewish people, um, who stops and helps the beaten man who was Jewish, right? So um, I told that story and we're talking about its um, truth and how sometimes we find God's love in the people we maybe most least expect it from, maybe even someone we think of as an enemy. And one of the compliments, I will never forget this, raised his hand and said, well, I hope that story didn't literally happen. He said, you mean to tell me Jesus would have stood there and not helped the man himself and just watched it unfold? And I thought, exactly. Exactly. It's not that that story had to have happened. Someone saw it and said, that's the gospel truth, that it happened exactly that way. However, when Jesus told that story, he understood that they would understand that there is a truth about God and a truth about faith in that story. Did it literally happen? We don't know. Did it literally happen? Quite frankly, I don't think that matters. What matters is that we have probably in our own lives discovered God's love, discovered God's presence, God's assistance from someone we may have least expected to. So are all the stories true? Not if you think of them as literal, but are they true in that they have meaning for our faith even today and the stories are 2,000 years old? Indeed, they are still true. Reinhold Niebuhr once said, um, he, takes the, he took the Bible so seriously that he would never take it literally. It meant too much to him. Uh, Rich, what is number one on your bucket list and why? Boy, that is a great question. Um, this is really going to surprise you and probably maybe even trouble some of you, but um, when I was like, 21, one of my bucket lists, it's not now, I'm very old, um, I wanted to run with the bulls in Pamplona. So, but I mean, so my bucket list has changed over the years. Um, 
but I would say it still experiences and I am um, I, by the time I was 21 years old, had been in 49 of the 50 states. And the 48 contiguous states, all by car. We took long driving vacations when I was growing up. So by the time I was 21, in all 49, in 49 of the 50 states, I still have not been to Alaska. And I, that is on my bucket list, that I will make it to Alaska sooner rather than later. Mostly also because I'm a little like monk. I want to get round numbers. I want to get up to 50. So I mean, I want to be, I want to be done with that. So, uh, Rich, is uh, our church unique in the UCC world? Well, yes. Every church is unique in the United Church of Christ world. United Church of Christ is our denomination, loosely knit by the forming of two traditions about 55 years ago. But every church in every denomination is unique churches are unique. Um, there's, a, there's an old saying um, that when you are um, working with other churches, you should always remember that when you've seen one church, you've seen one church, which means everyone is unique. But there are commonalities. There are um, threads that weave us together as a denomination. And one of the things that weaves many, but not all, United Church of Christ congregations, there are almost 5,000 of them, one of the things that weaves us together is that it's been a historic congregation in its emphasis on inclusion and justice and being sometimes decades ahead on social justice issues. And one of the things that I think holds us together as a denomination and is probably of value to most people here as well is that um, the congregational church before it was the United Church of Christ was the first church to ordain an African-American man in the United States, Lemanuel Hayes, in um, 1784. It's the first church to ever ordain a woman in 1854. Antoinette Brown was ordained by a congregational church. I think it was in South Union, New York. And uh, it was one of the first churches to uh, be active in the suffragette movement for the women's right to vote. It was the first Protestant denomination to become active in the civil rights movement. And that means in the 1920s, like 30 years before Martin Luther King and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference appears on the horizon. And it continued as a, as a place of justice. And it's been so long since the United Church of Christ ordained the first openly gay pastor that Bill Johnson retired from the ministry about eight years ago because he was ordained almost 45 years ago. So one of the things that makes us both unique as a congregation, but also maybe tied together in the uniqueness of the other congregations is that we are fully autonomous. We discern God's vision for ourselves as a congregation, hence our name, congregational, the root being congregation. So we, instead of having a bishop tell us who we will be, how we will think, and what the boundaries of our faith are, we discern those as faithfully as we can. A uh, number of different questions that uh, pertain to politics. Um, <laughs> what are some faithful ways to have conversations with friends or relatives who have significantly different political views? What are some faithful ways to have um, Friendly conversations with relatives and friends who may have different political views. Um, that reminds me of, the, of a quote of, um, oh gosh, I don't think it was T.S. Eliot, but um, he wrote, um, 
the, se the season has, of Christmas has come and gone again, and I have once again unsuccessfully succeeded in loving all of my relatives. And so, um, <laughs> I mean, that may be the starting point, but the, the reality is that we are in a crisis and critical moment, a juncture in communities, in our nation, in congregations. Uh, I will tell you, and I think I said this in a sermon about a year ago, I, for the first time in my almost 30 years here, wondered if this sort of big tent church that we've always been with a wide variety of theological and political perspectives, we have always felt that what unifies us is stronger than what pulls us apart. And a year ago, I wasn't so sure that was the case. But I do believe that the church has a, a central role in these conversations, as does your faith, and not just in, in, in the church, not just in the community, but even in our families as well. When we speak with relatives, um, loved ones, who believe very differently, perhaps, than you do. So, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful book that I'm going to speak about more in some sermons this fall called A House United, How the Church Can Save the World. And it's about being purple congregations, not red or blue as in, you know, Republican, Democratic, whatever it might be, but purple congregations. And one of the things that he lifted up is the remarkable partisanship that we are experiencing. And we think, we think of it mostly in the nation, depending on whichever news program you listen to, but we feel it in our families as well. And there have been some studies that are suggesting that the partisanship that people speak about the other side, whatever the other side might be for you, is so great that it has equaled how people spoke about each other, that is, as the North and the South during the Civil War. For the first time in 160 years, we are so partisan that we speak that poorly about the other side on, the, on a regular basis. I mean, that is frightening. But it comes home, right? Literally home. Maybe it's around the Thanksgiving table that there are difficult and profound conversations that, for me, I think, have to begin with an acknowledgement that you can love one another without necessarily agreeing. Now, there may be some things that you or a loved one say, maybe it's you're saying it, that so offends someone in your family that they cannot engage it. And if that's the case, my sense is that you need to say that. I can't engage that. And you're going to have to draw back because there are going to be some things that in such a partisan world, we are just not only going to, we can't just simply say, well, let's agree to disagree. Because they may be so fundamentally different that the challenge is going to be, will love sustain that relationship? if you feel that the differences are so grave that you, quite honestly, find it difficult to respect someone who believes so differently from you. But in the end, that's the question for the church. If, as Paul said, that we make love our aim, if we make love our aim, the question, and I don't know how it'll be answered, but that's the question, will it sustain us? Rich, would you like to be a Cubs fan? Wow. Well, that really does hurt. Um, you know, maybe you've been aware the White Sox have had a rough 
15 years. And, um, <laughs> and I think I know who wrote this question because I admitted to this person, I have found myself this summer watching the Cubs games on television. <laughs> Ushers, well, you might have to take care of this crowd. Um, no, you know what? They play great baseball. I'm staying a Sox fan, but I enjoy Cub, the Cubs baseball. And I finally, when they were in the World Series, I actually rooted for the Cubs. I was a Sox fan who rooted against the Cubs, but I rooted for them in the World Series, and I root for them to get back. And this is what's really, this sort of started me down the way, is my daughter's getting married next year. Her fiance's a Cubs fan. She's become a Cubs fan. <laughs> Uh, do we always use the UCC suggestions for Sunday liturgy? Do we always use the UCC suggestions for Sunday liturgy? What I think the person might be referring to is what's called the lectionary, which isn't just for the United Church of Christ, but for Protestant denominations, there's a Catholic lectionary as well. And the lectionary is assigned readings for each specific Sunday for the, the 52 Sundays of the year, and then also for Ash Wednesday, for Christmas Day, for um, any other, the other services that are on, um, not on a Sunday necessarily. And so there are assigned readings, and, and in theory, over the course of three years, if you came every Sunday over three years, you would hear most of the Bible read and then preached on in that time frame. Um, that is an old model started, gosh, 100 years ago for, for the Christian churches. And it isn't one that I have um, been a strong proponent of, but I will tell you my colleagues are a strong proponent of it and have, um, we have worked together and are using the lectionary um, probably about three quarters of the year this coming fall, winter, and spring. And woven into that will be some sermon series that you'll hear more about, including the one that will start on, on fall kickoff on September 9th, which is Out of the Shadows. And it's about biblical characters you may not have heard much about, or maybe some characteristics of a well-known biblical character that you might, have been, might be surprised about. So, we are going to try to use that lectionary, but it isn't the United Church of Christ, it is the Protestant churches, so. One more. Okay. Good. Uh, how can I get more involved in small groups or ministries here at church? Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna tell you, I work for, with some extremely strong-willed individuals, which is my greatest gift, and it was so funny. Our great coordinator of new members and engagement coordinator, Jeanette Lloyd, said to me, Rich, that's your last question for Ask the Pastor. She wrote the question, she told me what it is, and she actually wrote out the answer for me. And, um, and I am, no, I am taking a firm stand. I'm gonna answer it on my own, okay? I'm, I'm gonna just, no, I'm gonna do what Jeanette told me to do. Um, Jeanette, okay. Yes, gosh, you can get involved in all kinds of ministries and uh, mission work and prayer groups. And you can find out about them this morning in Plymouth Hall. And the John Otto's trio is going to be up there playing away. We're going to, they're going to be helping us celebrate what it really means to be a Christian faith and a family of faith. And maybe you want to be a part of the prayer ministry. Maybe you want to be a part of Moms in Faith. Maybe you want to be a part of, the, of another one of our book groups, the Thursday morning book group. There's going to be somebody, there's going to be some ministry that, that fits you. And 
the people walking around who have that information are going to have hats on that fit them and speak of their ministries on the front of them. So yes, there's an excellent opportunity for you to remember what you said when you joined this church. We take this church to be our church. Promising so far as in us lies, share its work, sustain its worship, love its members. This is one of the ways in worship that we do that, but it's also by using our gifts in the service and for the glory of God. So thank you and amen. Thanks, Rich.